we thank you that you give us hope in this world. We look at the world around us and we just see so many trials and so many challenges and so many heartaches and things that we may want to go in a different way than they actually go. But we thank you, Lord, that you give us a hope, not just a temporal hope, but also an eternal hope that comes from knowing you. Lord, what a blessing it is to know you. Uh, I pray that now as we open the scripture that you will help us to know you better and help us to learn better how we can honor you, how we can love you more, how we can live lives of meaning and eternal significance. So please open our hearts to what you have to say to us today. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Today we're continuing our series on the book of Ecclesiastes. And so if you're following along in the Bible, I invite you to turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Now the book of Ecclesiastes features this man we call Kohelet. Kohelet is a word that means teacher or preacher. In Ecclesiastes, Kohelet is on this epic search for meaning. He's looking for meaning in life that lasts, but as we've been seeing throughout this book so far, it's a difficult search. Because everywhere it looks, it seems, he's struggling to find a meaning that really lasts. And he's looking high and low. Now, there are glimmers of hope in the search. The hope especially comes as he turns his eyes toward God. But he is still struggling in this search. And here in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 that we're looking at today, I'll tell you, it feels random when you read this chapter. That was just one of the things that kept striking me as I studied it. Just the, the seeming randomness uh, of this chapter, and I think this randomness is indicative of life in our crazy and chaotic and broken world. And we all experience that where, you know, one moment our thoughts are going this way, and then our thoughts want to go this way and that way, and we're looking at the world around us and see a lot that doesn't really make that much sense. We wonder, God, where are you in all of this? And that feeling of chaos and craziness and questioning even I think it's the mindset that Kohelet had as he was writing Ecclesiastes chapter 7. But even amidst the randomness of this chapter, how it's just all kind of all over the place, there is some wisdom that really rises to the surface to help us understand how to live lives of meaning in the midst of a chaotic world. I want us to turn our attention now to the screen where we're going to be able to watch this, uh, this passage being read. It's Ecclesiastes 7. Verses 1 through 24. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to heed the rebuke of a wise man than to listen to the song of fools. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is vanity. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, 
Why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing and benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter as money is a shelter. But the advantage of knowledge is this, wisdom preserves those who have it. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. In this vain life of mine, I have seen both of these, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. Wisdom makes one person wise. Wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than ten rulers in a city. Indeed, there's no one on earth who is righteous, no one who does what is right and never sins. Do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. For you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. All this I tested by wisdom, and I said, I am determined to be wise. But this was beyond me. Whatever exists is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? So you kind of hear that sense of randomness through this chapter. It's just kind of going one direction, then another, then another. What Kohel is trying to do is apply wisdom to his interpretation of what's happening in the world around him. But his mind is just kind of jumbled. He says in verses 23 and 24 of Ecclesiastes 7, All this I have tested by wisdom. I said, I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been is far off and deep, very deep. Who can find it out? So he's trying, trying to interpret the world through the lens of wisdom, but he sees a whole lot that doesn't make much sense to him. For instance, he sees people who are trying to live righteous lives, good, God-honoring lives, who perish. And then on the other hand, he sees people who are wicked, who are not seeking to honor God at all, who are hurting other people in the process, but they're flourishing. In his mind, it just doesn't make sense. He recognizes God is sovereign, Yet her world is still deeply messed up. And he also feels the limitations of his own humanness. That as hard as he tries, he cannot fix what's happening in the world, and he can't really even understand what is going on all around him. But in all this, even though he's facing randomness and chaos in the world, in all this, there's a nugget of wisdom that rises to the surface. There are actually many, but I want to highlight one particular one today, and it's this, that we learn to live wisely as we consider the reality of death. Now, this is the opposite of the way most people live and think today, because most of us don't like to think about death very much. We prefer to, to just kind of ignore it, and, and, and if it pops into our mind, just kind of push it aside. Our society does not like to think about the reality of death. 
But Kohelet says the exact opposite. He says we need to think deeply about the reality of death. Let's pick up in verse 1. He says a good name is better than precious ointment. And so this, this passage begins so nicely. The idea of a good name is talking about having a good reputation with those around us. Being known as people of character, people of generosity. He says a good name is better than precious ointment. And the day of death is better than the day of birth. So it's going along so nicely talking about a good name. And suddenly it kind of takes this dark turn talking about the day of death being better than the day of birth. And we wonder, what in the world are you talking about here, Kohelet? This doesn't make sense. Day of death better than day of birth? And I think we might have a couple different temptations in terms of conclusions to draw here that are both wrong. One temptation is to draw the conclusion that Kohelet's just so depressed that he's ready to die anytime. Another interpretation of this that we might have our minds jumping to is to jump immediately to the New Testament on this side of Jesus' resurrection. I think of the Apostle Paul who said to me to live as Christ and to die as gain. To die as gain because then you can go be with Jesus in heaven. And so our minds might be tempted to jump there, but that's not what Kohel's thinking about. He's not ready to die. His mind is not jumping ahead to heaven. It's important when studying Scripture to consider the context of the passage. Consider what's happening right around the verse in question. So let's read the broader context. It says, The day of death is better than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will take it to heart. So what I just read, especially the end of verse 2, provides for us a clue of what Kohela is saying when he says the day of death is better than the day of birth. He says death is the end of all mankind, meaning that everyone dies. And the mortality rate of humanity is 100%. We can't escape it. And he says then the living will take it to heart. So he's saying that there is something that we can learn by looking death in the eye. So let's word this in a little bit of a different way. He's basically asking us, okay, do you want to gain wisdom and how to live a meaningful, God-glorifying life? Then go to a funeral. That is what he's saying. He's saying, if you want to learn wisdom for living a meaningful, God-glorifying life, just go to a funeral and take seriously what's taking place there. So in verse 1, again, he compares the day of death to the day of birth. Now, the day a child is born is typically a very joyous day, a day of celebration. If there are tears in that day, they're typically tears of happiness, tears of joy. There's an anticipation, there's a, a dreaming, a hoping as people look to the future of this child. Funerals, though, feel very different because rather than marking the beginning, they mark an end, the end of life, at least on this earth. Kohelet, though, is saying that we should then reflect at a funeral. He says the living will take this to heart. The reality is, he's pointing out, we will all die one day. And so it's important in light of our death at some point in the future to think about what really matters in life in light of how short our lifespan is on this earth. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So one of the things about the day of death, thinking about the reality of death and how short our life on this earth is, 
Isaiah can give us wisdom. It can be for us a teacher to help clarify what really matters on this earth. What, what really matters in our lives. I mean, go back to verse 1 again. A good name is better than precious ointment. So, so he's, he's tying a good name to the day of death. Those are parallel to each other in that verse. And so this begs a question. What kind of name will I have when I die? When my time on earth is done, how will people speak of me? Will I be known primarily for my passion for bowling or for sheep's head or for gardening or for fishing or binge-watching Netflix or how much money I made in my lifetime? Will that be how people really know me? Or, on the other hand, will I be known for loving others, for my character, for my generosity, for my genuine love for Jesus? Last week I went to uh, the funeral of our administrative assistant's father. Heidi is our administrative assistant here. Her father, Dave, passed away back in January, but his funeral was just last week. So I went to that funeral last week, and the thing that struck me more than anything else in that funeral was how much Dave invested in the lives of the people around him for their spiritual growth. Person after person at that funeral testified to how Dave, for instance, shared the gospel with them and introduced them to Jesus. How Dave, when they would meet for breakfast in the morning, would bring a, a passage of scripture to share with them. How Dave would invited them to a Promise Keepers conference that brought about change in their lives. How Dave prayed for them. How Dave served them. This brings clarity to what truly matters in life. Well, I will tell you that no one at that funeral was talking about the size of Dave's house or what type of car Dave drove what Dave's job was, how much money he had, where he went to school, what sports he played, how he kept his yard. No one at the funeral mentioned that type of stuff. And it helps to distill what is truly meaningful and what truly matters in life. And I can tell you that that was not just lip service. Sometimes there's a lot of lip service that happens at funerals. But for Dave, that was not lip service. But it was a good reminder for me I think for others there too, of what really matters in life. You know, death invites us to be people of depth. To be people of depth. Kohelet not only compares the day of death to the day of birth, but he also compares in this passage a funeral to a party. In verse 2 he says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Verse 3 says, sorrow is better than laughter. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fools is in the house of mirth, which is laughter. In verse 6, he says, for as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools, and this also is vanity. Now, he's talking about laughter, and he's really, in this passage at least, lifting sorrow and mourning above laughter. I think it's important to put this into perspective a little bit. Laughter, in many ways, is, is not a bad thing at all. Laughter is a really good thing. I mean, laughter is good medicine for the soul. You think about a time where you've just laughed a lot, a good hearty laugh with friends or with your family, and it's the type of laugh that just makes your cheeks hurt and makes your abs ache. You know, that is such a good, healthy thing. If you find through the course of your life, it's been a long time since you've really laughed well. 
Something probably isn't going all that well in your life. Something needs to be adjusted because laughter in many ways is healthy. But here in this passage, he's talking about the laughter of fools. You know, a fool doesn't want to think about deep things. A fool is only concerned with what's comfortable and what comes easily. And this is always a temptation for us to take the easy route or to stay up on the superficial level rather than thinking deeply about things that might be a little bit more challenging. And so one of the things he's saying is that laughter, it, it's, it, it can be great, it can be good, but sometimes we can actually learn more as we think about some of the deeper and the harder things. Death and funerals can be a very good teacher for us. Funerals provide a natural opportunity to think deeply about what really matters in life. And that was especially the case in the ancient world. Because in today's world, funerals may last half an hour, an hour, and if you go to the burial and if you eat a meal together, I mean, it might be a total of a couple of few hours. Back in the ancient world, like for Kohelet or even in the time of Jesus, funerals would last for days. They would last for days, and that gave lots of opportunity to reflect on what really matters in life. So a wise person, sits in the funeral and realizes that one day it will be his turn or her turn to be in that casket or to be in that urn. And so the wise person, in light of that reality, asks themselves, when is my turn? What will my life have been worth? What will I have lived for? What will have been the meaning that drove my life? Will I have wasted my life? Or will I, by and large, have made the most of it? And Kohela here in this passage is challenging us to have depth in our soul and in our character. And I think, you know, really Kohela himself is growing in depth as we go through the book of Ecclesiastes. If you've heard any of the rest of the series or you know the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes, you know that early on, Kohela looks at death as an enemy. To him, death is the enemy that's destroying any meaning in life. It's something to be avoided, something to be grieved over. And he looks at death as an enemy, but now he sees death as a teacher. Now, to be sure, biblically, death is an enemy. But Jesus defeats death. But Kohela is looking at death from the perspective of what it can teach us. So to apply this to our lives, let me point to a couple applications. One is to recognize your limited time on earth, think deeply about what really matters, and put it into practice. Now, if your main takeaway point from our time together today is, okay, just how can I have people say good stuff about me at my funeral? That's kind of missing the point. You know, I've been to over 70 funerals, I mean, many of them as a pastor in various capacities and other funerals as well. I've been to over 70 funerals in my life, and one of the things I can tell you from experience is that when you die at your funeral, people will say nice things about you. That's just what they do in funerals. So you don't have to worry about whether or not people are going to say nice things about you at the funeral itself. Kohel is not focused about what people are going to say about us at the funeral. He is focused on how we are living our lives. How does the reality of our death at some point change and reshape how we live our lives here and now? 
So he's, he's seeking to transform our life now. And let me give you an example of how looking at the reality of our death can reshape how we live now. The example comes from a woman named Megan Kropp who was a part of Freedom's Church. She passed away in January from COVID at the age of 47. I mean, it's very sad. It seemed like it was before the time that we all wanted her to die. But I had the opportunity to be one of the speakers at Megan's funeral. And as I was preparing for that, after she passed away, Wayne, uh, Megan's husband, Wayne, uh, let me know that back in college, Megan had the assignment in one of her classes to write her own epitaph. You know, an epitaph is kind of some wording of how you'd want to be remembered, maybe something you'd see on a, on a gravestone or something like that. She had the opportunity to write her own epitaph, and, and Wayne indicated that over the course of the years, since she wrote her epitaph in college, I mean, she took that very seriously. It was an opportunity to think significantly about the reality of her death and what she wants her life to be about in the meantime. And she took not only the assignment itself seriously, she revisited the epitaph over the years. The last time she went back and edited it was April of 2012, which, you know, seems like quite a while ago at this point. But you think, April 2012 was over 15 years after she originally wrote it. That's how seriously she took it. She went back to that epitaph to update it, to bring greater clarity on what her life really means, on what really matters to her in life. And, and she listed out nine qualities that she wanted to characterize her life. Let me read them. Each, each quality that she listed out had one or more Bible verses attached to it. So this is the epitaph that she wrote for herself. A friend who loves at all times. A woman who loves the Lord. Devoted to prayer slash prayer warrior. Hide God's word in my heart. Encourage one another daily. Servant of God, not man. Steadfast. Vessel used by God and abides in Christ. So back when Megan was in college, she thought deeply about the reality of her death at some point in the future. And she wrote down how then she wanted to live, who she wanted to be, what characteristics did she want to characterize her life. You want to know what struck me when I first read that list? Again, Wayne sent it to me a few days after she died. What struck me as I read that list, those nine qualities, was how well they aligned with the way that she actually lived. I mean, she certainly had struggles. She certainly had challenges. But they aligned so well with the way she lived. And to provide proof of that, let me share with you something uh, that, that I had written just a few days earlier. On the night when Megan passed away, I sent out a prayer update to the church family, uh, letting them know about this, about her death. And then Krista Teller, our worship team leader here, uh, she texted me and just said, you know, it's so sad that, that Megan passed away. And she said that she was glad to have been able to have met Megan, even though she didn't know Megan very well. And in response, I texted back to Carissa, Megan was a massive blessing to many people, very genuine, a prayer warrior, memorized tons of scripture, was a, faithful, a very faithful friend, and wrote lots of thoughtful cards and notes to people. Now, keep in mind, I wrote that text before seeing what she wrote in her epitaph, but do you hear the connections? I mean, there's a lot of it that's it's verbatim between the two. Both, the epitaph and the text message spoke of Megan being a blessing 
and an encouragement to others. Both spoke of Megan being a prayer warrior, of memorizing scripture, of being a faithful friend. There's a congruence between that. And I think it shows that Megan knew in her mind what really mattered in her life, what was meaningful in her life, what would honor God, and she put it into practice in her life. I think by, by thinking seriously about what matters in light of death, that then shaped how she lived her life. And it can do the same for us. You know, there's so much in life that we cannot control. I mean, we can't control the day of our death, or at least we should not try to control that. We can't control what's happening in broader society. We, we struggle to control even what's happening in our own families. But even in the midst of, of the struggles of not being able to control what's happening around us or even in our own lives, we can live wisely by recognizing our limited time on earth, thinking deeply about what really matters, and then putting it into practice. So that's one application point from this passage. A second application point is to recognize your limited time on earth and be prepared to meet God after you die. We are not preparing well for death. We're not thinking well about death if we are not prepared to meet God after we die. In the randomness of Ecclesiastes 7, Kohelet says in verse 20, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. And he is absolutely right in this. Romans chapter 3 says no one is righteous, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. What we deserve because of our sin is a spiritual death penalty. So that when we stand before God after we die, what we deserve is for our sins to testify against us and us to be condemned to hell for eternity. That's what we deserve. But Jesus can change that trajectory. He can change that story because Jesus came to earth as a man and then still as God, went to the cross to die on the cross to pay the death penalty for our sins so that death would not have to hold us down. So sin would not have to testify against us and condemn us to hell. But instead, if we turn to Jesus by faith and by repentance, we can have eternal life. That's the difference Jesus can make, that death doesn't have the final word when Jesus is part of the story. So one of the application points for us is to make sure that we take Jesus seriously and that we are not depending on ourselves and our own good works and our own religious activities to merit favor in God's sight, but that we are coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I have sin in my life. I need you to take my sin for me. I, 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 I trust you to pay my death penalty for sin. And Jesus, I want to follow you rather than following my own ways. We need to come to that point to be prepared for when we die and meet God. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28 says, Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. We will die one day. We will stand before God. But we don't have to fear that if we are trusting in Jesus. But the reality is we will all die one day. And it is a sad thought to think about that reality. But at the same time, we can rejoice that through Jesus, death has been defeated. And through Jesus, life after death is actually much better than life could ever be on this earth. That is certainly not a reason to accelerate that time of death. 
as long as we are on this earth, God has a purpose for us. God has a meaning for us. Life is challenging. God is faithful to walk with us. And he has an eternal purpose that we can live into on this earth. And for us, as we consider the reality of death, it can be for us a teacher to help us to focus on what truly matters, to invest our time and our energy and our passion and our resources in the things that truly matter. Investing in our relationship with God, investing in others and loving them well, investing in their spiritual growth. Psalm 90 verse 12 again says to God, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your love for us, that you did not abandon us in our sin, but you sent Jesus to redeem us. And Lord, I pray that each one of us will be prepared for that day of meeting you by trusting in Jesus and following him. And Lord, in the meantime, I pray that you will open each of our eyes and our hearts to you in a fresh way, to the meaning and purpose that you have for our lives. Lord, I know that there is a lot in our world and a lot, a lot in our lives that can cause us to despair. But Lord, I pray that we will not get lost in despair or depression or discouragement, but instead that we will lean into you and recognize that you have a purpose and a meaning for us. And Lord, in light of our, our limited time on this earth, I pray that you will do a work in our hearts and our minds to cause us to recognize what truly matters and to apply that to our lives. And that we may do all this for the sake of your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.